0: Well, today we begin uh, a new uh, series of messages entitled, uh, uh, That's Just How I Feel. And it's uh, dealing with some of the emotions in life. And over the next eight weeks, uh, we'll be talking about uh, some of these eight emotions uh, that, that we uh, deal with all the time. And we came up uh, with a way to maybe make it a little bit relevant for us and maybe some ways that you can uh, identify with that. You'll notice on the front of your bulletin, there's all those little different faces uh, there. You know what those are called? emoticons, right? Right? I didn't know what they were until we started planning this and that. Uh, I said, oh yeah, those are those little things where you can add to your message you know to give a little emphasis to that. I didn't know what they were called. I didn't know they had a history about that. But you know you just add a little emphasis to what you are saying with a little facial expression there. And so we've got, got a screen full of them here just to remind you that we are going to be looking at some of these emotions as we move through. And to tell you how important uh, this is for, that people use these, you use them, I use them. Um, that uh, in a period of time, five month period of time in 2013, uh, these emojis were used over 1.7 billion times on Twitter. Somebody sent out a message and then they want to put a little emphasis with it. They put a little face there whatever like that. But I'm sending them to the grandchildren for their birthday congratulations on things. You know I, I love to see that with his cakes and hats and all those different kinds of things. But then we are talking about emotions. We're talking about these things. Here we go. Here's the eight that we're going to look at over the next several weeks, okay? We're going to talk about when I'm angry. Is that what you look like? We're going to talk about when I'm bitter. Talk about when I'm tempted. I'm never tempted. So I wonder what that face looks like. Mm-hmm. Nah. When I'm resentful. Wow, ah, OK? Uh, when I'm discouraged. There you go. You got a little tear coming down there. When I'm greedy. I want to see what that looks like, okay? Then when I'm content, uh, that's where we all want to end up. That's where uh, eventually we want to end, is where we're all content. Now today we're going to deal with one I think that everybody can identify with, and that is when I am worried. Is that how you look when you're worried? Mm, you got a little frown on your face. Well, you know, we all worry about things. So we have a strong emphasis on worry. We've got a quick video and kind of a lighthearted, satirical way of looking at how we can worry effectively, okay? Worrying is something that we all tend to do when something important is on the horizon, even if we try not to. But it is important for Christians to realize what worry actually is, a good way to pass the time. You see, worrying about things is a wonderful hobby for people to pick up because it doesn't take much practice and it is safe for all ages. Worrying may not solve any of your problems, but it certainly won't make them any worse. And if you have a lot of time on your hands, you might as well spend it fretting and pacing with your heart full of worry. In fact, worrying is a sign of caring about something. So instead of telling your family that you love them, just spend a lot of time worrying about them, and they'll figure out that you care about them. And since worrying will probably put you in an early grave, you'll get to heaven even faster. (laughs) These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. Uh, I love that guy's thoughts about that. It, uh, interesting, deep thoughts from a shallow Christian. Well, we've got to admit that we worry. And the facts uh, bear it out even if we're not going to be honest and say that. Well, uh, there are approximately 24 million Americans who suffer from panic attacks and related disorders. And that comes from worrying and anxiety there. Stress that comes from worrying is the number one reason for worker disability in America. Fifty-nine percent of Americans say they're overwhelmed with issues of life. I mean, we live at such a fast pace of life. All these things that have been created with social media and all that stuff, uh, you know, it's addictive to us. We're kind of bound to all of that stuff. Life goes at a far faster pace of life every week, it seems like, than it ever did before. And we just seem to be overwhelmed with it. Information overload, you know, uh, uh, commitments overload, all of those things. And we worry about them. We get stressed out over them. So much to the fact that a heart attack occurs every 20 seconds in the United States. And a fatal heart attack occurs every 60 seconds in the United States. And medical experts, those who give us medical advice tell us that here are our five greatest worries. Work, health, conflicts, children, and finances. Those probably pretty well nail it for the top five though. And each one of those can have a lot of different subpoints under them. And we can have a lot of things to worry about if that's where we want to focus our time and our energy. If you don't need to have anything better to do, you can always worry. Well, I also hear some teaching today from Jesus that I think some of the most significant teaching that we can find. It's in the greatest sermon ever delivered, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. Now this particular point is that he's talking about worry and anxiety. And the reason that we shouldn't have to deal with that issue in our life. And he talks about, you know, what are some of the side effects of it. So, if you open your Bibles with me, we got Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. And this is what Jesus says Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, very simply, Jesus simply starts out on this particular section, talking to these disciples gathered on the hillside, do not worry about your life. Well, you sit there and say, that's easier said than done, isn't it? So many things that are going on today in my life I have to deal with. The English word worry that we use actually finds its history in a German word, uh, worgen, which literally means to choke or to strangle. And so when we begin to worry, we begin to see that that's a mental strangulation because that's what takes over in our life. Now I know that some of you are sitting there and you're saying, well, I don't really worry about things. I just have a great deal of concern about several things in my life. Okay, what's the big difference between worry and concern? Worry, I'll help you out. Worry is when you're focusing on the issue or the problem or whatever it is that's got you worried. When you're concerned and not worried, concerned is when you are seeking a solution to whatever it is that would have had you worried if you're not just concerned, you're seeking a solution. You're wanting God to move in your life. You're asking God, you're seeking after God. You turn it over to God. you got a concern which is legitimate. But when you're concerned it's going to trust God rather than worrying about it which we've already seen from uh, that shallow Christian, it is not going to do anything but send you to an early grave. Now, Jesus tells us five reasons why we should not worry when we look very closely at this teaching. First of all Jesus says You shouldn't worry because worry distorts our perspective. Simply in verse 25, he says, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I want you to notice how Jesus is speaking and the analogy that he uses. He's going from the greater to the lesser degree in argument. In other words, he's saying, Life is greater than food and clothing. Therefore, if God is capable of giving life, Then he is capable of doing that which sustains life. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's from the greater to the lesser argument. Now, maybe we can put it in terms like this suppose I had saved up the money and I had the cash money, had the income to which I would have the cash money that I could walk into a showroom where Rolls Royce are on display. And I can pay cash for a Rolls Royce. In your mind, you can take it to a Lamborghini or whatever else you want. You know? If I'm able to buy that car, pay cash for it, and I've got that kind of cash flow in my life, am I going to look closely at the sticker and see what kind of gas mileage that Rose Wash is going to get? Am I going to be concerned about the gas mileage? Absolutely not. If I can buy the car I can buy gas, right? So that's kind of the analogy that Jesus is making. He goes from the greater to the lesser and it runs like this. If Jesus has the power to create life, do you think he is unable to provide food for that life and to sustain it? See, is not that the lesser of the two? Now, some of you else could be sitting there and thinking, as biblical scholars, well, you know, when Jesus talked to these people about not worrying, they didn't have as much to worry about as we do today. Life was much simpler back then. Well, it probably was simpler. You know, they didn't have all the conveniences of life that, that we have. But well, when you look at their life and you study it, I think you would find that they had just as much, maybe even more to worry about than we do. You know, food uh, was a problem. They had to get paid every day so they could buy food. There's no such thing as refrigerators or freezers and all that. You just couldn't buy store, buy food and store it. You know, they, could, they would go and buy grain because they had to start all over again every day. Water was in short supply, and most of that wasn't very good. That's why they began that tradition of mixing wine with water, so a little bit of wine in the water would kind of help uh, disinfect it, and you could drink it okay. Uh, the government certainly didn't help them out at all. In fact, the government gouged them in every way they could. And that was, that was an issue that they had to deal with. In fact, somebody figured it up and said, the average person during the time, the average worker during the time that Jesus uh, taught this message... Paid about 40% of their income in taxes. Now some of you can identify with that, right? So you see these people had enough stuff to worry about. They did. Every generation has things to worry about. But Jesus says, don't worry about them because I can take care of life. That's number one. Number two, Jesus says don't worry because worry denies our God-given worth. Now look at the setting where Jesus is teaching this. Many, many years ago. Uh, early nineties, I had the chance to go over there for a short trip to Israel. I'm looking forward to going back uh, in May next year uh, and spending more time and more time in depth and study. But I remember being there at the scene of the of the, of the uh, preaching of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a beautiful hillside in a valley where they could hear Him and see it. It was just, everything was beautiful. Uh, and so Jesus is seated on this hillside of Galilee speaking this sermon. And the crowd of people are sitting below Him. They are looking at the Sea of Galilee. Perhaps there's a stir of air that creates some ripples on the water. And I would think it was a bright, beautiful, sunny day for Him to be out on that hillside. A gorgeous day. And then because of the way the text reads I think maybe Jesus would probably have motion upward when He would speak these words. And He would say, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather in barns. And yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. And then He gives the zinger. He says, are you not worth much more than they? See, birds never worry about a strategy to survive. God's given them that instinct that allows them to find what they need. Uh, every spring, we have a right uh, that we go through at our life. I call it the killing of the ferns. That cookie is going to come home at some point in the spring with four ferns in hanging baskets. And we have chains hanging on the front porch in a little loop where we hang those baskets. And as soon as they are hung and we go inside the house and close the front door, four families of finches move in to those ferns. And immediately they start to build a nest. And then they start their family. They lay the eggs. And then that makes it very, very difficult to water the ferns. And so while the birds began to multiply, the ferns gradually began to die. And the ferns usually die about the time that the birds hatch and are ready to fly from the nest. There's an interesting thing uh, this spring, for some reason, uh, a mother bird had time to build a nest in my paper box. Now, I don't know who got the biggest scare one morning when I leaned over to get the paper, and here comes a mama bird shooting out right by my, right by my nose. You know? So now my paper carrier doesn't even bother with the paper box, he throws the paper. Up in the driveway. Sometimes it's in the ditch. Sometimes it's in the trees. You know, I have to look for it anyway. You know. but I look at these birds, and it's an absolute marvel to me as I watch them. I've watched them now for about eighteen years in this process. Whenever we put out the ferns, they come and they start making a nest. How they find the things to build the nest, and then how they have that instinct there to sit on the eggs so they hatch, and then how they find the food around there that they bring back to sustain the family. Now, Jesus talks about our worth by saying, are you not worth much more than they? In other words, as fantastic as these birds live with the way the instinct is and how it works that I put in them, you are worth more than a bird. Does that mean that birds don't matter to God? No. He created them. He likes them. Likes to hear them sing. He's got them in beautiful colors, an array, an assortment of colors. Birds matter so much, he says. I care so much about them, I've given them the instinct to know how to live. But the point that Jesus is making is this that Jesus cares more about you and about me and the issues of our lives than he cares about the birds. Why is that? Well, think about this for a moment. Has there ever been a bird created in the image of God? Absolutely not. Has there ever been a bird created? That lives with the privilege of being a joint heir of the kingdom of God with Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Has there ever been a bird who knows that he or she has a place prepared for them in heaven for all eternity? Absolutely not. But God has done all that for us. Why? Because he cares more for us than he does for anything else. We're created in his image. You know, when we come to know Christ, we're brothers with Christ. We're joint heirs with Him of the kingdom of God. And God has an eternity called heaven that He has created for us. And He paid the price for it through Jesus Christ, His Son. So when we worry about all these things, Jesus says, worry steals your sense of worth. You are more important to God than anything else. Now, here's the third reason Jesus says we should not worry He said, worry diverts productive energy. Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single cubit to his life's span? In other words, he's saying, worry is absolutely non-productive. The only thing it might get you, as the shallow Christian said, is an early grave. Because wor- is, worry is absolutely unproductive. But we do it, don't we? And what do we worry about? Here's some figures I also came across this week. we worry about things in the future. forty percent of our things we worry about are in the future. we don't know what the future holds who we worry about thirty percent are about the past you know you don't know what's in the future but yet you worry about it. the past you can't do anything about but thirty percent of our worries about the past twelve percent about health and ten percent is recorded as being about petty things that we can't change at all. So in total we spend about 92% of our worrying time, a worrying force in life about things that cannot be changed. I, I, I like this quote that somebody says, Worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it never takes you anywhere. You think about that. I love sitting in a rocking chair sit on the swing on the front porch. You can rock and rock and rock for hours and you don't get anywhere. It's nice relaxation. You know you could do the same thing with worry. You can worry 24 hours a day about something and it's not going to do one thing to solve that issue. There's a the fourth reason Jesus says we shouldn't worry and that is worry destroys the assurance of faith. Uh, the Greek word for that literally means a divided mind. And when we have a divided mind we, we vacillate between faith and And doubt between faith and doubt. See, we're supposed to be living in faith, trusting God, depending upon Him to meet our needs. But when our mind is divided, we're worried, and we vacillate between faith and worry. Isn't that that interesting that we can be divided in that way? See, we we have faith sufficient to believe that God can get us to heaven. But many of us worry whether we'll make it the next 24 hours. We're absolutely confident long term of our future that it's in Heaven for all eternity. We know that we'll be in Heaven in the sweet by and by. We're confident of that, right? I hope you are. If you're not we need to talk about that. But we're not so confident about the here and now. Now. And maybe it's at that point Jesus realized that those people sitting there hearing this message were having that same thought pattern. And so listen to what he says in 28 and 29. He goes on to say, And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. This is interesting when Jesus talks about this. He probably maybe made another gesture towards the, the lilies of the field which is a pretty generic term that encompasses the iris and uh, the gladiolas and the scarlet colored poppies. Absolute beautiful kaleidoscope of colors. Brilliant colors on that hillside. And what's Jesus saying? He's saying, look at this. You see all this? God created all this beauty in the plant life. And you know what's going to happen? He talks about it this way. He says this, But if God so clothes the grasses of the field, which are alive today and tomorrow thorn, thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? What's Jesus talking about the furnace and all of that? What He's talking about in the furnace is that's the oven that was used back in that day. One wasn't electric range, it wasn't gas, it wasn't a microwave. But it, was a, it had to have something to burn to create the heat to cook. And so what He's saying is that the women... Would go out and they would gather this grass and they would gather these beautiful flowers and they would let them dry and they would bind them up in bundles. And then whenever they need uh, to cook something, to bake something, to get the temperature back up in the oven they'd throw in one or two bundles of those beautiful dried flowers. And what Jesus is saying is this, you see that? Man in all of His glory, even Solomon cannot compare to these beautiful flowers. And yet He says they are going to be thrown into an oven they are going to be done away with. They are going to be simply used to control the heat in ovens. And he also goes on to say then, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? See if God puts so much and invests so much into creating beautiful flowers, that is a beautiful array of flowers isn't it? And creates this beautiful wonder of nature out right there. And it is going to be on for a short time. How much more does He care about you because look at what He's invested in you. You were created in His image. He sent Christ to die for your sins so that you can spend eternity with Him. So that you can be confident of your future in Heaven. While we live in a pretty turbulent world today. Remember that. The answer is, what will He do for you? So much more. Then here's the fifth reason that Jesus says we shouldn't worry. And that is, worry distorts our relationship with God. In verse 31 through 32 Jesus says, Do not worry then saying, What will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles or the pagans, unbelievers, as Scripture says, eagerly seek all these things, but your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. What Jesus is talking about I think is what so many of us long for and scramble for and look for in many different places and that is a sense of security. You make investments, you want to say, well, how secure are these investments? And you know, what have been the annual return on these things? You know, you buy a car, you want to know how. what's the resale value of it going to be? How dependable will it be? You're into a marriage relationship. You want to ask, you know, is this going to last? Is this the real relationship? Is it going to last? Is it the real thing? So we look for those security things in all of those issues of our life. Well, Jesus is saying if you're in a relationship with God and you've got that kind of faith, you don't have to worry about security. You don't have to panic about security. Let me ask you these questions and think about that. Do you really believe that God can save you from sin and break the power of Satan in your life? You better if you're a believer in Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ can take you out of A threat of hell and allow you to spend eternity with Him in the glories of heaven? If you're a believer in Him and you say you're a Christian and you follow Him, you better believe that. If those things are true, then is it not possible that He will take care of you and provide for you in the next 24 hours? Well, what we worry about is petty stuff. It's petty stuff. Like a lady went to the pastor and she said, Do you think God is interested in my little problem? And the pastor said, I wish I had his wisdom. He said, Ma'am, do you think that any of our problems are big to God? So you need to think about that when you're worried about these petty little things. They might look big to you, but they're not to God. And see, that answer cuts to the real core in the heart of this issue about anxiety and worry. The problem is. Not so much maybe that we're making our worries seem so big, but we've reduced God. We don't see God as the omnipotent sovereign God who has all power and all authority. And that God created us and He will sustain our life and everything is in His hand and everything is under His dominion and He will provide for us in this world and in the world to come. But our problem is that when we worry we take our eyes off of God. And we put our eyes on the problems. And that's when anxiety and fear and all those other kinds of things set in. And that's when it just eats us alive. And instead of enjoying the abundant life that God promises. We live a dismal life where we just worry ourselves to death. Now. I'm going to give you two challenges that I think Jesus also gives in here about two solutions for overcoming worry. Number one, live with the priority that the kingdom of God comes first. So you want to come overcome worry? Look at what Jesus says in verse 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now what does that mean? It means that it is Jesus Christ who reigns in our life right now. And it should be an absolute delight in our life to see His kingdom come into this world. And that's where our focus should be as followers of Jesus Christ. That should be the priority of our life is the reign of Christ as King and Lord in our life. And when that's not there, what happens? We begin to worry about all the what-ifs around us. And so if you want to be able to deal with worry and even move beyond worrying is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then here's the second thing, second principle. That is live with the principle of one day at a time. Look what Jesus says in verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think Jesus is simply saying, don't borrow trouble. You know, that's what we do a lot. We live today, we're in this day, but we're always looking out there and we're borrowing trouble. And we, we become overwhelmed by that. Because we're thinking about the difficulties we're going to have tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. And God's providing us grace and guidance for today. Now I'm not saying at all you shouldn't plan long term. See, I've planned eight weeks of sermon series. I don't know if that's what God really wants me to preach for eight weeks. I hope so. I've done a lot of work on it. You know, the reality is, I don't know if I'll live the next eight weeks. None of us is promised tomorrow, right? You know, but you should plan long term. You know, you should make some investments and plan wisely for retirement. I mean, you should plan and, and make sure that you are planned for and prepared for the future. I think you'll worry less when you do. But at the same time. God provides for us day by day and move day by day to meet our needs. And if we're trying to talk about tomorrow and, and the next day's needs, then we're doing it all on today's grace. And we need just to deal with with the grace for today. You see, God in His wisdom has divided up our time into bite-sized chunks of life called days. And when we try to chew off, a bite, chew off more than one day at a time, guess what happens? We become strangled. And what was the definition? Where's the origin of the word worry? Came from the German word for strangulation, strangle. You see what happens? See, God knows what He's talking about. He put all this together. He put all this together. Now, how are we going to wrap this up today? You know, the realities of life, they're real. That's why they're called realities. There's some things that you're greatly concerned about. And I'm going to say it's okay to be concerned about them when you leave here. I don't want you to worry about them, but I want you to be concerned about them because I want you to be seeking God's solution to them. And a great help to you you can simply go back and look at three verses in what Jesus taught us here. Verse 26 And yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you? And then verse 32, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. See, God knows what your needs are, and He promises to provide it. And so, if you've got that look of being worried, I want to help you move to being content as you cease worrying. And trust God and put the kingdom of God first. Let's pray. Father, uh, uh, as we deal with our emotions, we know uh, that worrying is certainly a valid one. And while we would even be convicted of that, worrying, rather than being concerned, uh, we know that we are not pleasing to you, that our faith has been diminished. We are not living life to the fullest. And so I pray, Father, that uh, the teachings of Jesus today, uh, this beautiful passage in the Sermon on the Mount, will help us cease worrying and become people of faith who are centered upon your kingdom and your glory. And we trust in you that we know if you created life, then you will sustain our life. You will meet our needs. And you've already prepared for our eternity. All we have to do is claim that by faith in Christ. And so I pray that we will become a community of faith, that that we are so committed to your kingdom first that we're not worried, But we're trusting in you day by day, step by step, as you lead us through this process. And I pray that we will do that in the abundance of faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name I pray. Amen.